Hey, welcome back to the show, everybody. We've got a special one here with live guest from Germany right now. This is, so it is a true honor that he's willing to stay up so he can talk with us. So that's really works. We're going to just get right to this here. So Frank Jacob, he's an award-winning uh, filmmaker. I just got done watching um, his Packing for Mars uh, film, which was really, really good. I, um, I like that one. And he's well known for his project uh, Looking Glass and stuff. So um, we'll, we'll talk about that as well. On the show, we're going to be talking about Mars colonization um, in Packing for Mars, talking about the infrastructure um, that is potentially already on the moon, Mars, along with um, people interviewed people that, you know, claim that they are actually were stationed, you know, on off world on Mars. And so we're going to be talking, talking to him about that and also the upcoming current um, things to do with the colonization efforts through SpaceX, Artemis and stuff to see, get his thoughts on that as well. So let's just get right to it. Frank Jacob, filmmaker, he is next. Welcome to the Three Beards Podcast. Craig, along with Austin and Chris. Passed to a new generation of Americans born in this century. Let me out. I'm afraid that is white. And Austin's missing in action right now, so I don't even know where he's at. So, it, right currently, it is the two beards, and luckily, our guest has a beard, so we are officially qualified as the three beards still. So, Chris, what's going on? Same old, same old. Another day in paradise, ready for the show. All right, let's try that. Um, okay, and take two with a little more enthusiasm, and go. No, I'm ready for the show. I'm very excited about <laughs> yeah, the show. I know. I'm just messing with you. All right, here we go. So, okay, bring on the guest, Frank Jacob. How are you, sir? Hey there. I'm good. Yeah, well, you know, welcome, you know, from the States of Germany. And so, what, right off the bat, what prompted the move, you know, to relocate over to Germany? It was just love the area or, you know, was, you know, love interest? I mean, what was it that took you, you know, took you over there to Euro? <laughs> It's part of a longer story, but the short version, I guess, would be um, I was uh, living in Houston for a while at the end in the States. I spent a few years in the States and I had um, just, I don't know, I just had this urge to go to Europe and I visited my sister 
And she, uh, you know, she's in Munich and Munich is in Bavaria and it's a very beautiful area. And I spent a few weeks here and I thought, hmm, yeah, this couldn't be, this wouldn't be so bad, you know. So I decided to just kind of uproot my life and reinvent myself in, in Germany and, you know, learn the language and learn the culture and just restart my life in a new track and see where it leads. That's kind of what started it. Well, now, are you a beer drinker by any chance? I'm, I've been known to drink certain types of beers, yeah. Because I just, that's one of the things, I want to get to Europe, but that's what I, I've heard from a lot of people. It's like, that is one of the biggest things to get used to from the U.S. style of drinking beer when you go to Europe because it's not cold. It's not cold? <laughs> yeah. It's, no, uh, it's that's like, not true. It's, but it's, it's not ice cold. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I just... I just you, it, you can't taste it because the beer here tastes so amazing that it would be a shame to put it you know, to make it, to serve it ice cold because you're, you don't taste the full, you know, richness of all the different flavors. And yeah, especially there's one kind of beer, uh, which is called Weiss beer, which is, uh, you know, very, very smooth. I mean, when you come over, oh. you got to remember that. <laughs> That's the one Weiss. you got to have. That's like, Weiss beer. that one is just, you know, the bomb. So uh, you don't get, so you don't get to taste all the body and all the richness if it's ice cold. Cause no, you, drink you don't, so no. So no, warm. and I think, you know, American beer is like, you know, very thin and, you know, low alcohol. So it's more like, you know, Kool-Aid. You want it cold, you know, because it's going to quench your thirst. But here it's different. It's like, you know, it's all it's a whole taste experience. I mean, they've been doing it for hundreds of years. So <laughs> so they've uh, they've got it down. They got the beer thing down. And the wine thing, too. They got the wine thing down, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. Well, that's if that's one thing in just Europe, you know, go. I mean, I. That's when that's the bucket list trip, you know, is to do that same thing. I mean, I just culturally speaking, I think, you know, Europe is the place where it's happening. And, it, you know, it started here and it went over to there. Yeah, it, I, I, I can't wait to get over just everything from the aisles down to down to Italy and just tour the whole thing. Because it's just, you know, so it's one of those things. Just it'd be cool to just hop on the train, you know, just to like, just just go around and just see see everything. Because it's one of those. You know, you always read about it, but you never actually get to see, you know, so that I'm, I'm jealous is what I'm trying to say. So that, there we, there we go. <laughs> you, you get, you're li living a lot of people's dreams right now. So I want to show your site too. Well, before we get too far into this here, um, cause people can look, find you at frankjacob.com yeah. and, um, you have, you, there's a, we can zip through this, but there's, you know, you have this reel that you can show that's talk you know it's it's kind of pretty cool it's about long i'm not going to show the whole thing it's three yeah yeah three minutes yeah. long but you can people can watch people can watch that you can also just you can get everything from the webinars that he's um that he's part of here on cyberhive go go there and that's um that was the one you were talking about that you just did that's my um, new baby yeah mm -hmm. yep so you've got the part one part two and part three right here and that's so what what prompted you to um, tackle this um, this topic? And what? Oh, the, uh, the looking glass material mm -hmm. was something that I had, you know, obviously heard about many years earlier because of my work on Packing for Mars and my connection with Bill Ryan and, and my production partner, Tanya Maidenford. She introduced me to the looking glass material as well, but I never did much with it until uh, just recently, actually this year, early in the spring, I was sort of poking around, um, some telegram channel doing research on a totally non-related subject. And I stumbled on, there was like, 
just this banner that said looking glass or guardians of the looking glass or something like that. And I thought that's weird. That has no place here. So uh, that, that's of course why I had to click on it. And I clicked on it and it led me to uh, a YouTube channel of a group that had, um, you know, called themselves the guardians of the looking glass. And they had a couple of videos up, maybe 60 views, nothing much going on, but the videos were for these really intense tech uh, oriented tech uh, text videos that were describing that described who they were, uh, why they were there, and what, what was going on with respect to Looking Glass. And it just, like, I had instant goosebumps and knew that, okay, that, I mean, I knew that Looking Glass was something that was real. And yet here was this group that kind of resurfaced 10 years after the last uh, incarnation of, a, let's say, whistleblower who surfaced and was talking about his involvement in the project. And uh, except the message that these guys uh, were bringing out was a lot more intense and a lot more up-to-date and a lot more informative in terms of describing the technology and also describing, you know, current state of the current uh, events and, and how it related to the looking glass technology. So I dug into it and I, you know, for days was, was kind of contemplating on, um, you know, what it was all about and whether I should do something. I was waiting for the usual suspects to do something, write something or to put it out there. And I noticed nobody was. So I figured... Okay, well, I will. So I decided to break the story in an article that was released on a German uh, alternative news portal uh, called the Unbestechlich, you know, the Uncorruptibles, translated into English, uh, by a very famous author by the name of Jan von Helsing. It's kind of his uh, platform. And uh, he put the story out on the 31st of March. I made sure he didn't do it on April 1st, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, the, <laughs> the same day, uh, 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 by fluke, another expat from Europe uh, by the name of John Nolan, who has an in- a thing called Inspired Channel, decided to you know, go to visit Jan's site because he knew Jan as well. And out of the blue, you know, and he saw my article there and he's like, wow, looking glass, because he actually had put out uh, a, a modified version of Bill Wood, who was the last person who was talking about Looking Glass with Carrie Cassidy on his channel. And so he saw that and he, he called up Jan. He said, do you mind giving me this guy's number? I'd like to know if you'd like to do an interview. So then the same day, he reached out to me. I didn't know who he was. And I said yes to the interview, not knowing exactly much about Inspired Channel. Uh, and we did an interview on the next Monday that went live. And within two or three hours, it had already had over 25,000 hits. Then it was up to 50,000. Within a week, it had 100,000. I think now it's well over 500,000 hits just on that first interview. It wow. just seemed to be a message that resonated with a lot of people talking about timelines and looking glass and its technology. So it just blew up and I became this like instant web success. <laughs> Uh, so I was doing like dozens of shows. I think I'm still doing them. And um, this is a topic which I think resonates with a lot of people in terms of for the future, where we're headed. It's a very precarious time we're in right now. And I think any kind of technology mm-hmm. that talks about knowing what the future is, is going to be interesting to people. So that's kind of the nutshell of the story. Wow. That, no, that's that's fantastic. I mean, it, it's like I said in the, in, in the beginning, you know, I watch packing for Mars and I really I really liked it. Um I haven't watched any other um other ones yet. And it was when you well, you should watch you should watch Solar Revolution next then because that one is also very relative to not only looking glass has a relation to it, but in terms of what's going on in our cosmos right now. There's never been a film, even though we did it ten years ago, there's never been any comparative comparative film that has has gone into this topic like ours. So 
both of those films were actually when I think about it, they're just as current now as they were when I released them. One was five years ago, and the last one was ten years ago. So they take a while to make because they're very. We we put a lot into them. They take a lot of time. Uh, we try to make them as cinematic and as high quality as we can. Yeah, it's, so, it's... When, so so when you produced this film, did you think that it was going to be very relevant to what's going on today? Did you kind of read the future when you produced this film? Or was that your hopes? Uh, well, I mean, people have tended to always tell me that I'm 20 years ahead of my time, which is, you know, why I'm always broke and never had anything going. <laughs> So, uh, no, just kidding. Um, yeah, I am kind of a future thinker, uh, but I didn't, you know, make the film thinking anything about anything other than I wanted to make a cool film. I wanted to make a documentary film, full length feature that, uh, you know, delved into something which was not just a bunch of talking heads. And like, there's a lot of document documentary films tend to be like very dry and not very creative and just a lot of information, not very much, you know, music or arty and, uh, or at least at that point anyway. And so I wanted to sort of break into a new genre and, and combine information, heavy information with cool visuals, cool music and make it very cinematic. So I just, th that's all my mission was. And I was looking for a good subject and I had, I'd been given this book by an author called Leslie Watkins from a, a, a this biodynamic farmer in Ontario, Canada, like many years ago, who pulled this book out and said, this is fact, this isn't fiction. And it's, it was written like a fiction. The book is a narrative. It's a novel It's called Alternative Three. Uh, and I took it and he gave it to me and I read it. And it was like, yeah, it doesn't read like, it does not read like a fiction book at all. In fact, I found out later, of course, that the, the author uh, was a Fleet Street journalist called Leslie Watkins. And Leslie was a was a, like an investigative journalist. One of those, the time when real journalism was still very much alive. So, I mean, very much more prevalent, not that it isn't alive now. I know a few investigative journalists today that are out there, but they're having a hard time. But anyway, Leslie Watkins put the you know factual aspects into a story which had actually broke on uh, a science report show out of London a year earlier, which had been put out as kind of a spoof, you know, a, um, a mockumentary on as their last version of um, of their show and their show had generally always been fictional. I mean, factual reporting on science developments. And so when they put the show together, people freaked out. It was kind of like a war of the worlds of England in a very tiny manner. Mm -hmm. They had tens of thousands of people calling in saying, I can't believe this is going on. And anyway, Leslie caught that story and his publisher decided to tell him to, you know, write a book on it. So he contacted the authors of the screenplay and uh, and then basically got the rights to it and then developed it much more and into the form that became the book you just showed. Uh, and that is what became the foundation for me to make a film because I was online one night looking for nothing really in particular, but I ran across an interview uh, where two people were being interviewed. They were talking about being recruited to go to a Mars colony. And that's what brought the story back to me thinking, what is this really true? I mean, and the people were none other than the great granddaughter of you know of of a president, Eisenhower in this case, and um, and an attorney who sounded extremely intelligent and very very lucid and articulate. So he didn't sound like he was just some goofball. He was describing details about you know jump rooms to Mars and things. And I so that I knew then and there that that had to be the story. So I decided to take Leslie's the foundation of Leslie's work. Um, and kind of build a, a modern version of it filmically. 
So the idea mm -hmm. of exploring the idea of whether there might actually be a colony on Mars uh, was the foundation. Um, and I made a few parallels to Leslie's book. And we ended up getting to know Leslie, and I know him even to this day. He's still alive. He's 94, I believe now. Uh, and, you know, great guy. And I did an interview with him, actually, which you can find on, on, um, on our Packing for Mars website which actually I didn't give you, but the Packing for Mars movie website has an interview with Leslie Watkins, probably the only interview anyone's ever done since that book was published, other than myself and maybe one person in England, I think a couple of years after the book was published, but since then, nothing. So yeah, very interesting guy, very interesting story behind that novel and, and you know his experience of writing that and then what happened after he published it. And then after it was released in America, that book came into the possession of Mae Brussel a very powerful American legendary investigative journalist who called it the most dangerous book in her library. So there was obviously something to it. And so that's why, why I decided that would be a good story to go after kind of with the, in the, in the spirit of throw us a, a camera in a, in a backpack in a studio in a backpack and just hit the road looking for the story, finding my way. Uh, and that led me to many of the protagonists in the film that uh, that you then see and uh, also meeting up with my production partner tanya maidenford who also makes a um, appearance in, in the film that's really good music too i mean you, you have some you have some big names linda moulton howell george nori you know are involved in in this uh, that'll turn thing, and then before i get to it, julie uh, one of the people watching um, she commented you know where that it's available to watch i I downloaded um, and rented it from Amazon Prime. I got it through there, watched it there, but you can also go to um, frankjacob.com. You can actually watch it directly for, you know, click on his site and you can get it there as well. And that probably would be a better way. I probably would have given you more money than if I'd gone through, you know, Amazon you had I. Yeah. So, um, so forget I just said the, the empire of Amazon, <laughs> go to frankjacob.com and you can watch it directly from him where he gets every penny of that. I I'm, I'm assuming not I'm, quite I'm every, but we have, you know, we have to obviously cover our costs, but more than I get on Amazon, that's for sure. We, you know, we, uh, we live off of our artwork of course. And so, yeah, yes. we're much, much appreciated if people go to our, our site and you can get to the films from the CyberHive site you put up on the screen before too. And you can get to it, of course, from frankjacob.com. There's a special button that says films. And then you can see all of them, not just that one, but all of our films. And we've done some other really cool ones as well. Yeah, I'll put there it right it back is. up there. Yeah, yeah so you can just click right there and just watch. You click that. You can watch the tra um, you know, watch the trailer. I can actually get back here and click right there. Right, so right, right where it says films. Exactly. Screen Addiction is our production company, and we see Solar Revolution there in German, English, and French. And I think we're going to be putting it out in Spanish too, because it's such a it's such a phenomenal movie that people have asked us to make it in other languages, and it's been really done high quality dub, not just really cheap on the cheap. It's uh, you know many um, like really we put a lot into them, and and also Packing for Mars is in German, been fully dubbed. The only one that yeah. isn't in German is uh, Klaus Donner Chronicles, because it was uh, just you know would have been too much, but yeah. No, you, you, you know, just without heaping too much, you know, just, you know, gratuitous, but, you know, praise, like I said, it was, it was, it was not one of those like cheesy, you know, 3D style graphics. You know, this one was an actual really well done production. The music was really good. And like I, said, I talked to you a little bit before the show. I mean, you play the didgeridoo on there. Um, I'm going to forget the name of it again. You have a little, it's, I, um, you said it was the mouth harp. 
The mouth heart, that. yeah, and, and yeah. even uh, there's even the opening tracks. I mean, I actually put some of the soundtrack together on the road with musicians that I ran into, old friends of mine, and some uh, others that we connected with. We actually jammed out in the and the uh, uh, like some of this the opening um, or the second track in the film is a jam that we did in the Rolling Stones garage studio. I played it on actually uh, Charlie Watts' drum kit. I'm actually playing on that track. Uh, my friend plays the oh, wow. bass and another friend plays the guitar. So that really spacey track that leads you down the rabbit hole in the very beginning, mm -hmm. that was actually recorded there. So, um, And we have Kim Shaheen also. He plays the guitar. He's also somebody who's written uh, songs for you know people like the Stones or worked with them. And he's you know he appears. He makes a cameo in the film as well, playing the acoustic guitar. So it was very much a flow. There was a flow artistically, musically, everything. I tried to sort of put the whole journey into the film so that it became this whole really immersion process of just exploring this topic, going over yeah. to this, you know, to this area uh, of the world and meeting these people and everything that happened. And that's kind of, kind of what it is, is that when you, for anybody, and like I said, if you didn't have it described or if you're not, you look at it, it's like, okay, what is just driving through the desert have to do with, you know, going over to Mars? And it's, it is basically, it's, it's Basically, it's a chronicle of your journey discovering, you know, this topic that you you're delving into. And it's just it's a it's an elaborate way of just showing it's like I could have just said I flew, to, you know, I flew to over here to California or I flew over here to Vegas. I flew over here to see some. But no, you actually get to see the journey that it went through. And it was it was really well done. And that. Thank you. Yeah. With one of the topics like you got on, too, and you talked a little bit about it just here a little bit ago. Um, his name is failing me though, but you know, he was, he said it for 17 years, he was on the planet and one, one person I was talking to and my wife said the same thing too. She goes, you know, I'm, I told her, I don't know, maybe, you know, the answer I, I need to get more in depth in this, but it's the gravity issue. It's like, how was he able to walk back here on you know, earth? If he spent 17 years on Mars and I'm like, there must've been Captain K. Yeah, and that's you know because I I go his his body should have just absolutely transformed in that amount of time to where he wouldn't have been able to come back after that because of being in such low gravity scenario coming back to this weight I mean it would have been basically like free diving to the bottom of the ocean you just would have right. crunch right yeah sure no the thing is you know all these are valid points right because. Uh, we have um, Andrew Bushaga talking about the jump rooms and his experience. Um, I don't think I don't think we actually um, explored his story, um, the Mars aspect of his story. Uh, but um, what happened is that um, you know you you found I found that during the course of us making the film, which took five years, a lot of the whistleblowers emerged that we didn't know about even before when we when mm -hmm. I started the story. Uh, so, you know, that we included them in, in, in the sense that in the spirit of let's put their, um, story or let's put aspects of their story into the film. Obviously we didn't want to scatter it with too much crazy information and too much craziness. We tried to keep kind of a sort of a level head with respect to exploring the possibility, the probability of if that actually existed. And so we included some of these stories that were breaking. Michael Sala broke that particular story, I think. And we included that section in the film just to kind of show you the, some of the landscape. Now, whether Randy Kramer actually 
walked around on the surface of Mars for 17 years. I mean, that's up for debate. Like a lot of these stories, mm -hmm. a lot of these whistleblowers have very little evidence to back up their claims. Now, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of um, strange anomalous activity going on on the surface, which would indicate that what's going on on the, uh, on the planet isn't necessarily happening on the surface. And maybe there's a different, different gravitational um, aspect below the surface of Mars, which I think is where most of the stuff of the activity, or at least the bases that people have described that are going on um, is taking place. Uh, and also a lot of it is, I think um, it has to do with um, this 20 and back program that uh, Captain K talked about. We didn't get into that in packing for Mars so much. I could have, I mean, the one who actually is the, I think, uh, I'm not not to discredit anybody out there, you know, openly, but I think that this 20 and back story, uh, the originator of that story is a guy called Michael Relf. And when I first dug into the story, I found out about him through Alfred Lambermont Weber and I contacted his wife. She was the contact point because he's off the radar. Uh, and she told verified that actually she had you know put him through series of regressions where that whole 20 and back story emerged. Uh, mm -hmm. with a certain biofeedback technology that she was using as a therapist. And she was, she, she made it clear to me that I was, I was, I was, uh, she was, uh, I was welcome to use any aspect of the book that they put out about it. They published a book about Michael Ralph's story. Um, and I was going to actually read passages of that book uh, in the film, but as it, as it turns out, the film got longer and longer and, 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 you know, to try and make, you know, you end up with a lot of stuff on the cutting floor that you really wished you oh, could yeah. put in. So unfortunately, Michael Ralph's story didn't make it in either, but then Randy Kramer emerged with the 20 and backstory, Corey Good emerged with the 20 and backstory. And I'm not sure whether or not those guys are just um, plagiarizing a story that Michael Ralph told or whether their story is real, because again, they don't have any evidence either. Uh, but it's, it could it could be too that you know they just you know I mean obviously if if we're on planet they're gonna have technology that obviously we don't know about I mean there is it's they right. could have already easily compensated for this thing sure so, like gravitational aspects yeah. in their suits you know things to make them you know acclimatize to it better or or the other way around getting back to Earth and whatnot yeah for exactly. sure but I think one thing that is sure is that there's anomalous stuff on the surface of Mars which cannot be explained away so easily in fact more and more of the material that's surfacing on um you know um Ra uh, rami barilan for example he's one of these guys that that scours the the nasa uh, sites and looking for um anomalies on the surface that were photographed by the rovers that are apparently mm -hmm. up there so uh and that some of the stuff that's emerging i think you may have caught recently there's this surface there's this this like doorway which they photographed, uh, which looks... Yeah, I've got um, yeah, I've got a picture I can bring up, hopefully. You know, Nori had it up on his site, for example, and it's you look at it, and it's like, uh, it's like okay, this cannot be artificial. You know, and then we talk about, I mean, in the film, we also get into some of the um, material at the time. Uh, there, was, there was another guy out there putting material out that was doing, you know, photographic forensics with respect to the, to the surface photographs and it was very high quality stuff uh and you know that we actually showed in the film that looked like uncanny like forests uh you know just you know, buildings uh, and they, they they employ certain smudging techniques to make sure that we do not see there you have it yeah you know, nasa's excuse was yeah it looks cool but uh you know it's only 50 centimeters so it couldn't be a real doorway 
right? Um, so, but they didn't say no. It isn't the doorway. This is just this is their way of answering things without answering them. Just so, the, the crazy part is just the perfect cleaving. You know where it's just, it's that's it's not something that would just be. That's not a way something's going to break off that way. No, exactly. And there's more. I mean, we we show a lot of that also in the film. In fact, we did afterward. Tanya and I, Tanya Maidenford and I, did a lot of live live talks and presentations for like the making of oriented kind of stuff. And we show a lot of archaeological evidence that just has that same quality. There's just no way that is a natural formation. And we have uh, Credo Mutva in the film, as you know, talking about the formations in the Elysium quadrant, which show these pyramids that are perfectly shaped and mm -hmm. that we show in the film. We got that material from Jet Propulsion Lab, which was actually handed to us from J.J. Hertog, who was one of the original people to break this in archaeological information about the surface of Mars more than 25 years ago. I mean, he was really one of the real pioneers. His name has been kind of lost and buried in the sensationalism of all the um, Wilcox and goods and stuff that have appeared on Gaia Channel with all their sensational stories, which you don't know are real or not. And, you know, the whole idea of disclosure uh, is very precarious. And, you know, and I know very much through the course of producing the webinar, Tale of Two Timelines, that, uh, you know, one of the stories, one of the big stories of that uh, webinar is, you know, the origination of the, the origin of Project of Looking Glass technology. And it goes back to Roswell and the formation of a secret, ultra secret, secret society called Majestic 12. And then mm -hmm. in this group and, and, you know, in this group in particular are certain members that had specific jobs and their jobs were disinformation in some cases, like General Twining. His information, his, his job was to put false information into the UFO community to make sure that nobody knows what the truth is any longer. And when you think about when that took place back in the late 40s, early 50s, you can imagine that some of the material that they dropped out there, how far that tree has grown up to now. 50, 60, 70 years later, right? So, you know, I think there's a lot of contamination in the disclosure movement, specifically geared, you know, to, uh, yeah, you're seeing some of that there. Exactly. Yeah, we, well, in the film, we really go into it in a lot more, like particularly the Elysium quadrant, because we didn't really, we didn't go so much into the Sidonia Plateau. Um, you know, yep. there's a guy called uh, John um, Brennan, or Brandt, I think is his name, and he put out... Uh, he was an astrophysicist who worked on uh, with NASA and he put out a very interesting hypothesis about the atomic, uh, the residue of, uh, of a particular Xenon-128, which is in the atmosphere of only Mars and not, none of the other planets in our solar system, even though our consistency, our, the material, the consist uh, the um, substrate in all of the planets in our solar system is very similar uh, with respect to that, though, it's unusual. There's anomalous uh, higher levels on Mars, which seems to indicate there was an atomic artificial explosion which took place long, long time ago. So, um, And then he shows us some very high-definition pictures of the Sidonia Plateau, in particular this five-sided pyramid. And you see in that pyramid and the and the stuff that John that that he put out, you can see really um, what looks to be like un deniable evidence of a city similar to um, Pompeii. You know, if you look at the architecture of the way they built those structures and also similar to a lot of structures in, that are found in South America. And he makes a very good case for the fact that the uh, artifacts that were photographed on the surface of, the Mar of Mars through the rovers, they actually look, yeah, you're looking at the low res version of it. 
and uh -huh. uh, in our presentation in fact i had a presentation online before youtube censored it that actually dug deep into those uh um, close-ups of that uh of that terrain and it was just fascinating because of the link the link between south america um, and the artifacts found in that particular area of Mars. But we didn't talk about that so much because the Sidonia Plateau has been kind of overdone with the face on Mars. And, you know, we yep. basically we, we went into it, as you saw, um, just to lead into the subject. But, but Elysium was something which not a lot of people know about. And that's why we had J.J. Hertog talking about Elysium and the fact that even Cairo, you know, which actually lines up with certain areas on Mars is named actually is the name for mars so uh you know so there's this earth mars correlation that jj talks about in the film which you know I, I expand on of course much more in the live talks that i give in terms of all the historical and archaeological evidence that links mars with earth from the fact that there's over 528 words in the english language that tie directly to mars and most of them have to do with cataclysm and, you know, our, uh, and really like huge events that took place in the past. And if you look at the history of Mars and you look at the history of Earth and even what we found on the surface of of, of the moon with the with that huge ship and, and the uh, this um, um, figurine that they've that they recovered, apparently, and brought back to Earth, which uh, which has, you know, a relation to looking like very Hindu like. And if you look at ancient Hindu mythology you can there's a story about a war that took place where there were nuclear explosions and whatnot and it would go back to roughly that you know if you if you kind of open your mind to the idea that there could be the history could be much older than we think it is on this planet that that perhaps what we're finding on the surface of the moon are actual you know spaceship remnants that had uh, a place or took a took part in that battle described in the ancient hindu scriptures yeah, I, I believe that we're not the first, you know, human civilization, you know, that's been on this thing. I mean, I we could be, you know, yes. several, you know, iterations. Because, you know, I've, all it takes, I mean, you've heard, everybody's heard me say this a few times. I mean, it's just like a nuclear blast. How many of us know how to make, you know, a computer mouse, make a computer, make, yeah. you know, even make a cup, even make yes. this a... I know I go, a microphone, right? How yeah. does the sound get from your mouth to the amp? Like, were there a bunch of gremlins so, running around in there, you know? Yeah, yeah, so within a few months, everything that's here is of no value anymore because there's no power. Nobody knows how to make power. Nobody knows how to do this stuff. So this all goes away, and before long, we're back to the thing of um, using sticks and stones for tools, and we're, we've basically gone back to the Stone Age in, yes. in a short amount of time. And so somebody's going to dig up this cell phone, you know, hundreds of years from now, they're going to be like, what was this? This, you know, this yeah, ancient even, alien it tech. Be, it wouldn't even exist in a hundred years. It would be gone. But the only that's yep. why I kept asking people like, like Klaus Donner, like, why are there only these stupid cave drawings, you know, from the past? Well, it's because, because the granite and is one of those things that seems to endure through many, many millions of years. And it's probably the only thing that they could do to leave messages to the future on that actually survived because a cell phone would never survive. There's this film about what ha would happen in Las Vegas if the world ended. And they, you know, they show literally that within 10, 20 years, the thing would be, you know, re reduced to a bunch of dust. Nothing yeah, would survive. And I mean, that's Gobekli Tepe is that, you know, it's a huge, you know, is a thing that's 10,000 plus years old, you know, and it's, you've got carvings and stuff there and there. And it's like, yeah, we don't know exactly what all the carvings mean, 
but we it's still a record of something that they can get. And that's where you know, just a little bit ago you were talking about it. Do you think that it was Mars, Martians came to Earth and then that's where, you know, kind of we may be the ancestors of that? Or do you think it was a prior civilization that went to Mars and then something happened? And now, now we're finally discovering what is, you know, was already there. You know, like this is a previous colonization attempt, you know, millions of years ago, decades, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago. Well, uh, what I, I found evidence that, that um, we actually came uh, from Mars. And it's actually interesting because uh, the, um, I think it's Teotihuacan pyramid structures in South America. Uh, there's a, the pyramid of the sun, the pyramid of the moon, and the pyramid uh, um, of Kukulkan. And the way they are lined up uh, was shown that you could you could put basically when you looked at it from above and you drew um, you know circles to connect those uh, and if you put that pyramid of the moon in the place of the sun, then you actually realize that the that the actual the moon pyramid should actually be the Earth pyramid and Kukulkan should be Mars because the actual relationship orbitally lines up perfectly. And if you look at the actual size relationship between Kukulkan and the Earth, uh, the pyramid of the Earth, which is the pyramid of the moon, then there's a ratio which comes out, which is the exact ratio between the diameter of Earth and the diameter of Mars. And there's this plaza that leads from Kukulkan pyramid directly to the Earth pyramid, almost as if to say those people who are ancestors who landed there built an actual geo geographic map depicting their story of coming from Kukulkan, who is the, is the bringer of wisdom and, and, and high technology. And that was brought there. It was like there, it was almost like they left, um, you know, traces of the story in the actual archaeology so that you made this journey from Kukulkan Mars to the Earth Pyramid along this plaza, plasma, uh, plaza. And it's, oh, it's cool. amazing that there are these remnants of that story. So I, I would suggest that it actually has more to do with them from as a civil, well, at least with a certain civilization coming from Mars and coming to Earth. Um, you know, that's not to say that there wasn't already previous civilizations on Earth uh, or that there's even stories about there was multiple civilizations on Earth at the same time and that the Mars civilization sort of dominated and took over with uh, advanced technology. Um, you know, there's a whole legend about Antarctica and that actually being the place where they landed and things. I don't know how much credibility there is to it. It certainly is interesting to look at uh, that story. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, oh, yeah. you know, but but there is remote viewing evidence in the CIA database, which was released around 2012, which I discovered as well as a few other people. It was a few of us simultaneously stumbled on it that describes remote viewing experiences that had them in the 1980s um, looking at Mars and reaching out and finding, actually making contact with an ancient civilization that was on the surface of Mars during an event where it was either a cataclysm or some kind of a, a nuclear or atomic or some kind of a destructive um, process that was taking place. And the people that were there were waiting to get um, off the planet and, uh, and, and they were describing where they went and what they described sounded eerily a lot like the way Antarctic may have been because Antarctic is full of uh, thermal, um, you know, underground thermal lakes and, um, you know, 
certain climate and uh, vegetation that existed there that was found frozen in the Admiral Byrd expeditions seems to lo- link up with what those remote viewers were seeing the people on Mars described to them. So it's a very fascinating story. Well, that's probably why the Nazis had such a fascination. You know, we're like in that thing to get down there to Antarctica. So, I mean, there's a really good chance that that, you know, just like we said, that that there is something there, whether, you know, and it could be that. It could be ancient Martian, you know, space travel, you know, came. That's where they landed their stuff. You know, it's down underneath the ice sheet. And that's what everybody's because there's I think there's many reports of like there is massive stuff underneath that sheet of ice. Like there's just like almost like an entire civilization. Sure. Well, like, those, there's maps that show Antarctic uh, without ice on on it. You know, uh, mm-hmm. so you know, there's we have a, a vast history on this planet that is yet to be yet to be discovered, and and we're finding things under the sand, and with lidar technology, we're finding things in the jungles of of South America that are just mind blowing, that oh, are just cool. visible to the naked eye, and they go deep underground. Yeah. So that there there's stuff in the sand which is lost, there's stuff in the jungle which is lost, and I'm sure. There's stuff on these other continents like Greenland. I mean, why is it called Greenland, right? If it's under ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and North Pole is also one of those places in, in Greenland where, um, you know, bird and uh, and there was like a whole, um, yeah, there's a whole science of catac- cataclysm science, which I go into in A Tale of Two Timelines, talking about Charles Hapgood and, and the, uh, you know, the whole the branch of cataclysm science which included people like Velikovsky, which described, you know, planetary alignments that weren't always the same as they are now in ancient, ancient times. Uh, and also the, the remnants of they found freshwater lakes in um, Antarctica. And they also found evidence of animals and, and vegetation that was like freshly frozen in the north as well, indicating that there is a routine or a cyclical pattern of the Earth's rotation, which takes place over tens of thousands of years leading to the idea that the earth actually does tilt on its axis regularly and then tilt back again into the same position for specific reasons that Hapgood described before he, of course, was his book was taken uh, off the market and, and, and classified as ultra top secret by the CIA. And then, right, of course, we found out that Char- Charles Hapgood himself was a CIA double agent working as a geophysicist. Uh, so, you know, that was a good way to implant someone, one of their own in, into the field to make sure that the truth doesn't get out. But the fact is that there's so much to our own history that we talk about in Klaus Donner Chronicles, by the way. That was another video you had up on the screen that was talking about out-of-place artifacts that talk about how there's periodic, um, you know, deposits of technology which are uncovered in many parts of the world. And Klaus specializes on finding those and putting them out there that show that, you know, we've obviously not been the most highly evolved and highly technological civilization on the planet um, to date. You know, there's much more to the story. And I think Klaus is one of the only credible people like that disc you see in that back and the backdrop there right there. You know, that has pictures of DNA uh, and, you know, embryonic uh, development that were if this is true, that this piece dates back to something like 30,000 years B.C., there's no way we would have had knowledge of embryonic and cellular development and DNA that is depicted on this disc. Oh, yeah. No, um, you know, no so, so, and, and even the, the fact that it's, you know, of what it's made of, you know, um, you know, this carbon material the kind of the particular material that that was made of is very very brittle so if you were to you know to do any kind of etching and chiseling if they're telling us that you know we didn't have anything but copper 
hammer and copper, crude copper tools to build the pyramids. Well, that technology precedes the date of this, the official date of the pyramids by a, a magnitude of three or four. So if we only had that kind of technology to chisel with and imagine that disc that you just saw, that would have been shattered to pieces. So obviously they had laser technology and other technology that existed way back when that were able enabled them to be able to make those things. So that's so that's that leads to my question of are you either deemed crazy or you deemed top secret? And is it just easier to deem you one of those categories versus just saying, hey, he's right. This is what's going on. I mean, do you think we'll ever get the truth? Because there's people like you, Three Beards Podcast. We everybody there's a lot of people who really want the truth. And it seems like we get closer to getting it and then it just goes further away. I mean, so what is your take on that? Well, that plays back to what I was saying earlier. There's a lot of disinfo ancients put into the alternative scene, to the, to, the, to the disclosure scene, specifically for that reason, to make sure that the truth doesn't get out. So they put storytellers out there who weave fantastic tales, so fantastic, un, of course, backed by absolutely nothing. And they, they pull a gullible uh, audience in who are hungry for the truth because all of us know you know, and as we have Richard Dolan saying in Packing for Mars, we know that we want the truth and we're hungry for the truth and we feel like we're missing something. Um, so the best way to hide it is to hide it out in the open, uh, cover it up with a bunch of fictional material. And uh, the other option, the other thing they do is they ignore it completely. And of course, the other one is, like you mentioned, they call you crazy. So it's safe to leave the information out there in the open because you don't really know in the end what is real information which is why a guy like Klaus is very valuable because he doesn't just jump to conclusions. He doesn't show, he never showed up on the scene, you know, claiming to be, you know, visited by the Pleiadians and given information about alternative realities and stuff like that. I mean, he didn't, he just kept it very down to earth. Now there are those people that are out there. There are contactees and there are genuine contactees. And those people are probably feeling the same kind of pressure that they're being, um, their, their stories being contaminated by others that are out there, you know, making the craziest stories up about Palladians and Arcturians and whatnot. And, uh, you know, there's so many different alien species out there now. So you're, you know, you're caught between, uh, you know, uh, trying to figure out how to navigate through this material. Then you have the other aspect of it, which was the atheistic view of reality versus the creationist view of reality. And depending on how religious you are, if you believe in God, you know, the creator, then, you know, then the idea of all these multiple universes or these multiple species is, again, an affront or a conflict with your belief system. So, you know, there's a lot of I mean, that that's what I spend most of my time doing is trying to decipher the fiction from the fact. And I try to do my best to kind of really detail what's factual. And what you can actually back up with some kind of evidence. Now, I, we don't need to throw science out completely, even though there's a lot of fake science out there. The kind of science that, you know, the science where if you pay me enough money, um, I will tell you whatever you want to hear. Or uh, controversially, um, you won't get grant money unless you give us the results that we want to hear. Right. So yeah. that's that form of science, which is the unfortunately the prevalent form of science is the populist form of science. And then there's the real science. The science, the science that actually does trial and error and has to actually go by the premise that when you find when you have a theory and you find evidence which contradicts your theory, 
you have to abandon your theory and go with the new evidence. And unfortunately, in our world right now, which is based on a system and stability, we tend to be building our science on models that are long obsolete simply because we have a global infrastructure to exploit technologies based on those ancient forms of science, you know. So instead of leaping forward into the new technologies like free energy and teleportation and things like that, you know, we had that general quas talking about uh, in January uh 2019 i think it was talking about yeah we have teleportation yeah we have wireless energy but we don't have the infrastructure to develop those technologies and i just had to shake my head and go my god like you know there it is another another person making it clear to us that we have all this technology out there mm -hmm. but we're not using it we're not putting it out there in the public domain and it's therefore kept into very small circles of private hands such as the looking glass technology, which gives only certain people this technological advantage instead of being used as a gift for humanity to propel ourselves into this new age that we're supposed to be moving into. Well, Edison and Westinghouse was the same, you know, it's just like, if, you know, what is the purpose of having it if we can't put a meter on it? Exactly. You know, we get, yeah, we got to be able to put a meter on it, you know, so we can make money. I, I go with this wireless technology, you know, Tesla, you, you know, you psycho. You're just going to beam free power to everybody. It's like, um, how are you going to meter that? Right. It's and like, I, and I think, you know, instead of they, they could have still figured out ways to monetize it, but it would have been mm -hmm. still a lot cheaper for like maybe it's just a device, you know, that you have to buy and you make that one time investment, you know, and then you have the device and it runs for 10 or 20 years, whatever, you know, yeah. so, but it's not the kind of thing where every month you're being sucked dry. Uh, and now we're, you know, what are we facing now with the stupid, you know, Putin, Ukraine, Zelensky constellation we're facing energy prices going through the ceiling again uh you know because why because of war and limited thought you know political garbage you know corruption uh yep. it's it just this is the kind of stuff that we're living in our world this is the kind of world that we're in right now it's just it's almost for those of us who are into waking up and and, and getting into this consciousness stuff and disclosure it's just painful to watch this world evolving out there like a crash in slow motion you know yeah oh yeah yes you're you're just like you know you're just like, can, can anybody else see this? I'm like, well, you see it coming. You're like, it's like, it's getting right. And you're like, oh, you know, there's nothing you can do. It's, it's one of those, it's from the matrix. There's a, you know, when he's sitting there with the dinner, it's just, it's like, you know, it's like ignorance is bliss. And you, there's times where you're like, how awesome would it be to just be back to that point where, you know, you're just sitting there like in the diner, just eating the steak and just not worried about anything. It's like, right. you realize it's it's fake it's nothing's here you know this is all you know this is all a construct it's, it's, it's like now once you're in that point you're just like oh i just I, I would love just put the genie back in the bottle just for a day just to experience the bliss that some people have going out there it's just like oh my god yeah but i mean that, that that's kind of a nutshell to what's going on in the society right now what i've in my recent works that i've been talking about is with looking glasses timelines you know timelines and what the, uh -huh. what that means uh and and we are in a position right now where i believe we're on you know, we're on a, we're on a, you know, we're heading for the um, realization, uh, the, the victory of one timeline over another. We still have, uh, like, a lot of people think that we're going to have, like, a timeline split and there's going to be one timeline with conscious people and one with unconscious people. But I, and the more I've dug into this material, I've realized that actually it's, I think, the other way around. We actually have multiple timelines right now, two prevalent ones. Uh, one of them is very dominant. 
And that's been developing over the last hundred years because it's been shaping our society toward a kind of a materialistic view. It's a very luciferic view. You could say it's been dominated by, you know, Illuminati elements or satanic elements that want to basically mm -hmm. realize the ultimate form of materialism. And what is that? That's eternal life in terms of in the material form. You know, and you have Ray Kurzweil and Yuval Harari, and I talk about them in the Tale of Two Timelines. You know, they're, they're just they're pushing us toward this timeline of transhumanism. And then we have yep. another potential timeline, which has to do with the ultimate realization of humanity in its fullest form, which is the unlocking of the junk DNA or the 12 strands, or whatever you want to call it. There's this proclaimed or pre there's this predicted you know, a uh, quantum evolutionary leap, which the Maya talked about and many other indigenous cultures, which is about to happen in our time right now. And the interesting thing about the looking glass story is that it actually involves the return of, of humanity 45 and 52,000 years respectively into the past to our time right now to either secure the timeline that orig originally led to their future uh, or to actually break away that timeline and create an opportunity for this timeline that I call the organic, you know, human timeline that is going to lead us to this expression, this full expression of what we actually have dormant as capabilities as humans right now, which is we only see it with people that have special gifts, special psychic gifts and telekinetic gifts and things like that, or telepathic gifts. But these are things that are normal things that are they're actually tied to our genome, but they've been locked away and we have yet to realize them. And yet here we are facing up against a group of people that want to forever you know, block that aspect because they're atheists and they don't believe in the creative aspect of, of our of our genome, they actually want to take our genome away from the organic and move it into artificiality in the form of an artificial intelligence-based society, which is, you know, taking the form of, you know, robots that they take their consciousness out of the brain because they believe not in spirit, but that everything is in the physical, obviously. So they believe that they can slice your brain up and that way they can capture who you really are put it into a hard drive and stick it into some sexy robot. And then you have eternal life, you know, and, and the, the, the sad thing is they have the money, the marketing and the people behind them to push that reality through. Whereas what do we got? We have us, we have, most of us don't have a lot of money and we have our mm -hmm. time, but we're facing, you know, all this, you know, pollution and the disclosure field to try and bring the truth out. Uh, and we're trying to bring out, the truth and make people aware that, hey, there is this other timeline which we need to manifest, but we can't manifest it if we don't know we have to manifest it and we don't know how to and we, we don't know that we have to visualize it. It ain't going to happen on its own. Like it, like some people tend to think you can just sit back, watch the show. You know, it's taken care of. The White Hats are doing the business, right? Well, I'm sort of the, I'm thinking like maybe we should be more like Plan B here. What if the white hats don't exist? What if we're the white hats and we've been lulled away from springing to action and actually beginning to manifest this timeline before it's too late? And that's what yeah. that whole story of the looking glass is all really all about. That was, you kind of um, you kind of touched almost on both sides of it because Elon Musk with his current mission to Mars, and that's where one of the things I talked about too, and is he. He, he came out with, I think it was a couple years ago, where he came out with that alarm. You know, AI is going to be the death of us. I've got to get off this planet. We have got to call, get to Mars. 2018, got, yeah. Yeah. And so, and, you know, so you're like, okay, so, you know, he's seeing this threat. He's seeing this thing. Okay, you know, we got to get here. Tide. 
But then in the same thing, it's almost as if like the handlers got to him. He comes out with the implant, the brain implant, and starts talking about how he's got it to where now you could plug this in and he's he's full bore with interfacing with the computers. He's he's embraced it's like he it was almost like something happened, like he got replaced and suddenly now he's like Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that bad. I'm actually full, you know, full bore into it. You know, here, we're going to plug in, we're going to be able to do this. <laughs> and I'm like, so what is it? I mean, in kind of when you're talking with the timelines, yeah. do you think this is how Mars plays into it? Like this seems to be, if we can get back there, we may be able to unlock well, what's, what's some of these things. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is the J-Rods talk about how, you know, they left the earth when this cataclysm took place, they went underground, they survived for many, many, you know, you know, centuries. And eventually they got off planet. And of course they went to the moon and they went to Mars and then onward to Zeta Reticuli. Uh, and what's interesting is that, you know, when I, when I just, when I rediscovered that whole story and I dug deep into it again, I realized, Oh my God, like that civilization on Mars, those remnants, um, you know, they may actually also be tied in that way that they actually might be us, having left behind something for us in the past to see, right? I mean, it's hard to get your mind around some of these ideas. Oh, yeah. But uh, but the idea is not that far-fetched that, you know, that, I mean, what we're talking about here is traveling dimension in dimensions. And it isn't necessarily traveling, traveling distances uh, because time is a dimension. And, and there are these things called stargates all around our planet, which are um, what the looking glass technology needs to be in the proximity of to be able to reproduce these images of the timelines that people that the people mm-hmm. running the projects were viewing and documenting and trying to manipulate. Um, you know, so uh, Elon Musk, you know, it's it's interesting. I for many many people believe he's kind of like the, you know, like the 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 Batman kind of of, of the of the of the real world. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, who's developing all this technology. But you know, it's kind of sad that he has a company called Tesla. And he doesn't really, you know, openly talk about the fact that who Tesla really was and the fact that Tesla in 1931 had created an electric car that didn't have a motor. You know, that was in 1931. And I wonder all the time, like, isn't the guy curious? Like, excuse me, your company's called Tesla and this guy Tesla invented wireless electricity uh, and you're building electric cars that are creating massive pollution with their stupid lithium system and they're you know causing massive you know human slavery and pollution on the planet uh and you want to invest 44 billion dollars in buying twitter when actually you could invest maybe four billion maybe only 10 percent of that and hire that or just give 10 of the most promising inventors of free energy technology which i know exists today and existed already since 100 years a campus and unlimited funds and and move all the blocks out of their way. And I guarantee you within one or two years, you will have a free energy device to put into your Tesla car, you know, and, and you, you wouldn't have to make lithium batteries anymore to pollute the planet. Why That's doesn't he do great it? Great idea. Yeah. Right. That's Why doesn't brilliant. he do it? I can't be e- that brilliant. Elon, that come on the show right now and tell us. It, right. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm I, sorry. I don't, I don't have much faith in Elon Musk anymore. Well, I, I've always he's wondered. A, he's been a placed. He's a planted person. Uh, he's a dis. He's just there to make sure that we don't get to the truth. Unfortunately, as much as I like the guy, he seems kind of cool. But his, you know, his girlfriend's a rock star, or whatever. But uh, you know, I mean, 
so what? You know, it doesn't count for anything if you don't make it. Like people like us are putting our names and our faces out there, talking yep. and provoking and pushing this endless conversation about free energy and about, you know, the coming, for example, you know, the, another aspect of the coming future timeline of transhumanism is this idea of digital currency, central banking digital currencies, which is going to create a programmable currency that's going to enslave all of humanity which is coming right around the corner and they're developing it in 49 countries right yep. now. And why aren't people yep. like Joe Rogan and Elon Musk, you know, this, I mean, we should be dropping everything and talking about that right now, because that is what's going to change society more than anything, more than electric cars, more than the oh, green yeah. movement. You know, this yeah. is the stuff that's coming at us that Jordy Rose, the inventor of the D wave computer, or that let's say the guy who had the company who invented the D wave computer over 10 years was telling us is coming at us like a tsunami. And yet no one is talking about it except a few of us. <laughs> and, you know, we're talking and talking and talking uh, to get the information out there. But, you know, I even had an Illuminati contact me, a guy, a Rothschild, you know, who's been taking up contact with me. And he starts oh, wow. talking about he's part of the Illuminati and their ideas to bring humanity together and evolve together. And I'm like, yeah, well, you have some problems with your model, dude. You know, I mean, then, then if that's the case, you've got some flawed thinking. Uh, you know, did you know yep. that this and this and this is going on? Because, sorry, you know, the game's got it. We've got to up the game right now. We can't be saying, oh, we're going to, you know, raise consciousness and humanity and then be totally oblivious to what's happening. Because this I is agree. the kind of stuff, these are the kind of things that are happening right now are going to determine whether we are the end of humanity, my friend. Are, are we the end of organic civilization? Are we going to move into a transhumanist culture like Elon Musk is creating Neuralink? And that's only going to lead further to becoming robotized and, uh, and uh, you know, becoming Android and Android civilization. Are we going to move away from organic humanity now? Is this it? Because Ray Kurzweil is saying it is. And so is Yuval Harari. And they've got a lot of money and people behind them with the power to make that work. And, I, you know, I'm not so sure that that's the way we want to go. And why aren't we talking about this all over the planet every day? <laughs> we're not. Because why? <laughs> we're distracted with all the, you know, cool sci-fi shows and... Uh, Johnny and Depp, Amber Heard. Yeah. Right. You, yeah, we got to have... We got to watch the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard trial. We got to right, do exactly. these things. Or the, or the useless cool stuff, like, you know, the flat earth phenomenon, which was funded, uh, or the Tartaria stuff. It's cool information, but come on. Like, is it helping us? Is it important right now? Oh, no. I, I, I think I absolutely loved I think that one of the best ones was the Flat Earth Society. They had a, somebody, they were talking about it. Well, how many members do you have? And it said, and they talked about the number of members they had all around the globe. And that was on the tweet. And you're just like, yeah, there's, there, you know, I go, you guys can't even get your own story straight. It's like, come on. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just easily distracted. I mean, there's a guy going around in the van, you know, birds aren't real. I mean, that's his whole thing, you know. I mean, come it, on. I'm like, just like, Oh, the, the, the amount of conspiracy, like, you know, we got ridiculed for being called conspiracy theorists digging into this material. The amount of conspiracy behind keeping a flat earth secret. Oh, yeah. Forget it, man. Yeah, it's birds no aren't way. real, flat earth. You're just like, oh, my God. You know, just everything's every in question. And then you're like, then you just might as well run around like a zombie because then everything, yeah, then, then everything, you can throw the entire, you know, any kind of concept of reality out the window. Exactly. So, so those are the people I believe that are thrown out there to distract people because birds are not real. So if he gets a hundred people to listen to the to listen to him, then there's, that's a hundred people that took their mind off of what's really going on. Birds aren't right. real. I mean, no satellite, no such thing as satellites, you know, and uh, they're just balloons and stuff like that. I mean, and the moon is like this projected plasma thing out there. 
yeah, you know, I, I'm, unfortunately, the problem is for every one of their different ideas, you have a new theory. Mm-hmm. So you have like 50 different theories to explain flat Earth. Whereas if you just accept that the Earth is, you know, a, let's just say it may it doesn't have to be a perfect round marble, but it's just this, you know, this model of the Earth being part of a system that's circular, that traveling through the galaxy explains everything easily. Why not use that? I mean, I mean that, that's how science actually should work. Your theory yeah. should actually be something which explains a lot of stuff in the simplest possible way, not the most complicated way where you have for every single new element of your theory, you have a new theory. It just doesn't work. That's not how science exactly. works. That's question- just not how it works. And I, as much as I, I respect the flat earth people for for being, you know, thinking outside the box and discovering some interesting anomalous things around the planet. It's not enough to to make that final leap to say the earth is, yeah, whatever. That's just my opinion. I don't want to get into a debate about flat earth here. And it's like, it's become a heated oh, yeah. debate. I mean, oh, it's God, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You get some, you get some people that are on there, but like, look at the time we got to get, we got to wrap this up so you can get your, yeah, you've got your buddy back there. That's just dying to go to bed. I can see right now. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, he's he's great. We're we're approaching the, you know, three a.m. your time. So right now, let's. Um, I'm going to bring it up, back up here so that everybody can see it and go to your your site. So everybody needs to go, you know, check it out. Um, go to frankjacob.com. I'm going to bring it right up here on the screen. This will give you everything you've got. Go to Cyberhive. Um, you can see the films there. You can rent them and watch watch them right there. Webinars. You've got all the information that you can connect with him via, you know, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, go there, uh, check out the stuff. But I watched Packing for Mars, really liked it. I'm going to have to check out the Project Looking Glass stuff and see, you know, see how that is too. But yeah, I just want to thank you for coming on the show, sir. That was a real pleasure. And, you know, congratulations on success. And like I said, I really hope for, for success, you know, in the future for you. It's like, great job. Thank you very, very much. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it's enjoy. It's a joy to talk to people who are, you know, open and truth seekers. And that's what it's all about. And we got to keep the dialogue going. Yeah, that is yes, fantastic. Sir. So thanks again. Thanks. Appreciate it. Have, have a great night. Like I said, and like I said, everybody, please go there, support him, support him, support him, support him. Like I said, get some rest. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah. All right. Good night. Good day. Night. Good night. Yeah, and this cheers. Is, all right, and this episode is brought to you by threebeardspodcast.com. Once again, we're still waiting for that sponsor. We've plugged enough stuff. I mean, how much more stuff? I mean, I even have a Pepsi Pepsi's sign sponsor. behind me. I, it's, I mean, here, you know, Ricola. Ricola is an amazing drop. It Ricola. works amazing. So when you have a scratchy throat like me and you're having a, these natural herbs, are, oh, I feel so good. Tastes hey, so amazing. You- Ricola. Fume vape vape box. You can give me some vapes, and I'll vape them on oh, the show and tell yeah, people how they yeah, taste. I mean, just, I mean, so, somebody, I mean, somebody's got to know somebody. I mean, I, I just, what's going to happen? It'll happen one of these times. Sharpie, please. Yeah, I mean, don't make us have some, you know, some lawyer dot com studio, please, please. You know, I just, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it'll it'll fund the thing, but I really don't want to have you know. This is brought to you by blah 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 law slip, firms. You slip, you fall. Law yeah. firm. Yeah, we don't want that, right? And we don't want some some adult you know adult store sponsor, you know, because I, I really don't want to have to be telling this show was brought to you by dildos. 
So, you know, as I <laughs> said, we're direct. not, yeah, we're not doing this. So I said, we got to find something, something good. So please, <laughs> please. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah. So check us out on social media. We are on pretty much everything. Um, you know, it's just TikTok, TikTok, Instagram. We have two accounts there. We're on Twitter. Apparently we have two accounts on Twitter. Um, somehow we set up two accounts. So we have a little ghost account out there. So yeah. Facebook, YouTube, you know, like, share, subscribe, hit that notification bell, comment, comment, comment. I, I know, Harlan, I know, I, I couldn't resist. That's that's the inside joke. We always talk um, a few, I was probably about a year and a half ago, Chris was suggesting, it's like, what, you wouldn't take the money? I'm like, no, I am not going to say we're, this show Dildo's was brought to you direct. by Dildo Palace. You know, <laughs> I, I said, no, no, we're not doing this. I, I go, <laughs> I so mean, if they're it, paying money, I'll, I'll say I'm I'm pronto. Oh no, I'll go broke. Direct. I'll go broke before I, I say I'm direct. sponsored by. Yeah, yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah. It's we we're that, I, I'm going to draw the line on that one. So yeah, it's, so check check us out on that. You know, you can sponsor this show. You can go through it's redbubble.com forward slash three beards podcast, or you can go to three beards podcast.com. And Jerry's like, I'm okay with Dildo Palace. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, so you just yeah, you check us out there. Buy buy the gear merchandise. Um, you know, Patreon.com is also another way you can go there. Forward slash Three Beards Podcast. Um, support us that way. Um, we had a couple people, uh, Julie and Harolyn. You know, gave some stars. Um, I think Ron um, told he did as well, and I really appreciate that. Really helps us out, you guys. And, and, means quite a lot that you guys are willing to do that for us. So appreciate that, but just go. And then we're rebroadcast every Wednesday night, um, courtesy of Ron as well on ERRT radio every Wednesday night. Hey, good night, Mason. 11 PM Eastern time ish is when we're on there. So just check that out. Um, on, I think it's Mixler is how you can listen to the show there on ERRT radio. You can also find that on Facebook as well, but so everybody, Thank you for watching the show. We are going to be back with another one next week. Hopefully we're going to find out where that missing red bearded guy was that did, you know, he no showed on us. So, so everybody can admonish him when he gets on here for, for standing us up. So he, he probably has a good excuse, but we're still, we're still going to give him a hard time. So everybody, thanks for watching. Have a great night. We will see you next week. Good night. Good night.